Uh, friends, I've been thinking uh, not overnight. Uh, it's been 24 hours, hasn't it? it was, uh, 48 hours since I, we, we began here. Um, and I've uh, been thinking about what we're doing together. Dear, it's a, it's a thrill for me to be um, able to be here and to be part of seeing uh, the stuff that is going on, uh, the, the, the stuff that the Lord is doing uh, in different places through this movement. Um, uh, so thank you uh, for allowing me to be part of this in a small way and to share, uh, and to share with you and to hear some of the stuff that's going on. Um, it's also technology here. Technology, okay. Keep going, do whatever you like. Um, it's also, uh, brothers and sisters, an enormous privilege to share in some of the hardships, uh, only in a small way, of course, uh, but to be able to pray with you and for you in uh, some of the hard things, uh, and only a few I know that I've had the opportunity to hear about, uh, but thank you for uh, allowing me to be part of that fellowship as well. I've been trying to think about what, I, what am I doing here? Here am I, you guys are in the trenches, in the real trenches, uh, doing a wonderful work. I'm not in a direct way part of that work at, at this particular stage of my life and the things I'm doing. Uh, and so uh, I'm, there's a slight distance between my thinking and uh, what you're grappling with. Uh, and I hope that that's going to be a helpful, that, that that will be a helpful interaction. I don't for a moment stand here uh, thinking that I've got expertise that will sort out the problems. Uh, what I'm seeking to do is to help us all to think about the spiritual realities that we're involved in. I won't be saying everything that should be said about them. Uh, and uh, as I say things, I every now and again deliberately try to say them in a way that is provocative. If they're provocative, if they're effectively provocative, it'll mean some people will disagree with me. Good. Okay? We want to be a fellowship that is strong enough in which we can hammer out disagreements. If we never have any disagreements, we won't be advancing in our thinking and our understanding. So uh, those of you who found yourself in disagreement with things that I've said so far, I'm absolutely delighted. One of the things we've got to watch is that our fellowship is strong enough to have those disagreements and we don't have disagreements that cause us to distance ourselves from each other. You know, he said that, I don't agree with that, I won't talk to him anymore. No, let's keep talking. And we can continue to have disagreements. Of course we can because we're, 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 we're people of limited understanding, all of us. We're people who make mistakes. There's bound to be disagreements among us. But our fellowship together must be strong enough to bear those. What I'm broadly um, trying to do, I think, is to focus our minds on three realities that I'm suggesting we really ought to make sure we're clear about and that we keep coming back to as a movement like this grows and expands. The actual practical decisions that need to be made, I think, need to be hammered out through long conversations, prayerful thought, uh, those answers aren't coming from up here. I hope you're not hearing me saying this is what FIEC should do, this is what it shouldn't do. I'm trying to focus on, uh, on, on understandings that ought to shape our thinking as we then do the hard work of working out what is the right thing to do in this situation or that. One of the great difficulties of the Christian life and one of the great difficulties of ministry and, uh, and, and, and church that uh, I'll be touching on in a little while uh, is that the Lord has had this terrible habit of giving us uh, enormous freedom. Uh, we, all have a, a, we all have a sort of Pharisaic spirit. We know why the Pharisees were what they were like. Um, 
If we understand the Pharisees and don't caricature them, I suspect we're rather attracted to the Pharisees because they were people who had clear answers. And this is the way to do it, not that. But there's a whole lot of life, certainly when you get to organising things, when you get to structuring things, which is essential for life. You've got, you've got to do that. The sort of things that Bruce alluded to, uh, they've got to be done. Are we going to do things together? Are we going to cooperate? Or we do them separately? Uh, if we cooperate, how are we going to cooperate? Now, the decisions as to how that's going to be done are decisions in which we have an enormous amount of freedom. What we need is not a law telling us how to do it, but wisdom. Uh, and wisdom uh, th that is informed and shaped by our understanding of the spiritual realities we're involved in, uh, what God is doing. The spiritual realities I've been trying to focus on are the church that Jesus is building, and I'm urging us to see that Jesus is building his church, to be able to see with only, only God-given sight will you see it, see the work going on as the gospel is proclaimed and people are called into the, into the presence of God as the church is being built, to be aware of that reality. That's the reality that we are involved in, that we pray for, that, we're, that we rejoice in, we get excited. Organisational structures around that are to serve that uh, and not to be confused with it. Then we've uh, talked yesterday uh, as, as well about the fellowship between churches. Um, I am delighted with the word, I think, that has been chosen for the fellowship of independent evangelical churches. You know, I think independent needs some definition, but fellowship is a really good word because what is happening here, this, this is an association that's set up for the, for, for the partnership, the fellowship, the sharing uh, in Christ uh, between churches. And I've been suggesting that, uh, uh, it, that the fellowship of independent evangelical churches is what denominations are meant to be. Because it's relatively young, it hasn't got the problems that the historic denominations have. Uh, and, but but, but, but it, it's right for us to think through uh, what's happened with denominations, what's gone wrong with denominations, what are the strengths and the weaknesses of denominations as FIEC develops. Uh, and to think through what is the essential reality. And I've talked about it in terms of the fellowship between churches. And the spiritual reality behind that is the unity of the spirit. Uh, the wonderful reality uh, of uh, the bond that has been created by the death of Jesus breaking down the barriers and by us in one spirit coming to the Father so that you are my brother, you are my sister, I am your brother, uh, even if we haven't met. Uh, even if you're living on the other side of the world. Uh, as I have opportunity, as I hear about you, you're part of my family. Uh, you, are, you, you are one of the people who has been loved by Christ as I've been loved by Christ, therefore I love you as I have opportunity. And one of the expressions of that, but only one of the expressions of that, is when churches link with one another and, and take an interest in one another and care about one another. Um, as FIEC is. Now, FIEC is at a, p a particular stage in its history, which I don't fully understand. Uh, I'm really excited about, and I love everything that I hear about it. Um, and you've got stuff that you're, you're going to be working out together. I'm just hopeful that the things that I'm saying to you do not give instant answers. I'm having several things that no one thinks that I'm giving instant answers. Two, that lots of people will disagree with me, because then I think we're thinking and we're actually exploring stuff together. Uh, and that, uh, that, that, that uh, focusing our minds on these realities will be helpful as we sit down and, and make decisions about our life together uh, moving forward. 
Now, I got to uh, the last point of the the church section of this. Uh, uh, By the way, I'm not sure how much of uh, what I've got before me we'll uh, manage to cover. Now it doesn't really matter as long as we cover something uh, and that it's stimulating and helpful, I I, I trust. I want to look at that point seven on page uh, six of your booklets um, where we come to the subject of the unity of the spirit is both smaller and larger than the denomination. What I want to do now is draw out some in principle implications of the stuff we saw yesterday of church, uh, what I've called denomination and unity, the unity of the spirit uh, and uh, I want to think those through Uh, please forgive me, I'm thinking these through as a person involved in one of the historic structures so you'll hear me thinking it through in terms of its implications for me and my situation but I'll also make an attempt to think through the same sort of implications for a young structure uh, like FIEC, uh, which is so much more excited to be invo- exciting to be involved in, I can assure you, than the Anglican one. Um, perhaps I can uh, share with you too that uh, I, I thought this stuff through in the first place uh, in the sort of way in which we're talking about it in a different context again. Uh, it was for a conference for, for uh, evangelical folk in the, in the Church of England, in England, uh, which is a different situation again and a dire one, uh, I might say. But uh, here we are thinking these through the implications of these realities for us. The E in FIEC uh, recognises that we are people who claim to be gospel people. Evangelicals are gospel people. We claim to be. Uh, and brothers and sisters, we mustn't allow that claim to be a basis for arrogance because then it would be a claim falsely made. Because the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ humbles all whom it touches. If you're not humbled, you haven't been touched by this gospel. You might have been touched by something else. Because what does the gospel teach us? That we are miserable sinners, saved by the extraordinary grace of God, that we do not deserve and on which we are completely dependent. This gospel humility, however, demands our submission to the word of God and our recognition that biblical gospel Christianity is authentic Christianity. I say again, that's not saying we are great, but it's saying that's, that's what Christianity is. We are far from perfect, either in our confession or in our obedience, But if evangelicals have become one party in the various historic denominations, we must resist the tendency to think of evangelicalism in those sort of political terms. We're one group among the sort of mob of Christians and we have our contribution to make. No, we have to insist that our claim is that it's only believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, only trusting the Jesus of of that gospel that makes a man or a woman a member of the church of God. But that is what makes a person a member of Christ's church, not membership of any organisation. Now, I'm saying something that is so obvious and that no one... I won't get disagreement on this one, I'm quite sure, but I want us to focus our minds on it and, and make sure that it's very clear in our heads... People do not join Christ's church by becoming a member of one of our churches. 
They joined Christ's church by believing the gospel. And we must not confuse the unity of the spirit that is created between all those who come to Christ with the unity of any of our organisations, like denominations, like FIEC. Now, I want to tease out this understanding uh, with three particular points, the A, B and C uh, on your notes. A, the unity of the spirit is unity in the gospel. We must be people whose focus is on the gospel, its true understanding, its faithful proclamation in the power of the spirit. The unity that matters to us and the only unity that matters must be the unity that has been created by God himself through this gospel. And that unity is unity in this gospel. Only unity in this gospel is the unity of which the gospel speaks. That's the great spiritual reality. The unity between people is unity in the faith, if you like. Uh, unity in the gospel, it's agreement in our trust in Christ. It's agreement in the Christ in whom we trust. The very great, I think perhaps the greatest folly of Anglicanism, boy, that must be something, mustn't it? The greatest folly of Anglicanism is, I think, to take pride in a slogan that has become very popular over the last few decades, unity in diversity. Have you heard Anglicans talk about unity in diversity? When what is meant is unity in Anglican distinctives that don't matter and diversity in what is believed. That is what Anglicans mean by unity in diversity. Unity where there should be diversity and diversity where there should be unity. Yeah? Now, that's what happens when denominations lose the gospel. If you're not united in the gospel, you'll be united in something else. Now, whether it's a constitution or whether it's ownership of property or whether it's meeting in synods or whether it's even some sort of historical heritage, that's what unites you, or the way you dress or uh, ordination procedures, there'll be something else that you'll be united in and that will replace the gospel. Young FIEC, I think... Okay, outsider observing, I'm not seeing all the problems, but I think the young FIEC, it's a brilliant time because it is still united in the gospel. Uh, there is diversity in other stuff. That's good. Value it, treasure it, guard it. That is enormously valuable. Now, this group of churches, the churches associated here, have a unity in the gospel and diversity in other stuff. Watch out as you move towards, as inevitably it will happen a bit, and I'm not saying it's a problem for it to happen, but just watch out when you move towards some unity in other stuff. That the unity in the other stuff doesn't come to matter too much. Unity in the gospel, diversity in the other stuff, that's healthy. The unity that matters is our agreement in the gospel. One faith, one hope, one calling. Therefore, friends, practical outcome, we will not neglect the study of the gospel, the discussion of the gospel, the working together through differences that arise as they will arise. We will not, this is our danger, in my opinion, take the gospel for granted. Uh, I honestly don't know the answer to this question. 
uh, and I don't want to hear it just now, but somebody tell me over morning tea, uh, you think about when was the last time you were at a conference where you actually thought together, what is the gospel we believe? What is the nature of the gospel we proclaim? What is essential to the gospel we proclaim? Have you thought that through lately or is it something we're taking for granted? You know the old adage, you take something for granted in one generation, the next generation will forget it and the next generation will deny it. Uh, I've been around long, long enough to be starting to worry about what are the things that have been taken for granted through the time of my ministry and I'm starting to see some things that I think we're losing because we've just taken them for granted. They've been really important things, we've just taken them for granted. And now they're, they're on the edges. Now, some wisdom in, uh, in conducting our life together is to, is to reflect on what is it we're taking for granted. We believe it, it's important to us, but we're not teaching it. Uh, we're not reflecting on it. And uh, my question is, is the gospel itself like that? Of course we believe the same gospel. We've been drawn together by the same gospel. Uh, the, the, there's so much in common that we have in our understanding of Christ and him crucified that we can take that for granted. Don't do that for too long. Uh, or it will not be so. We must contend for the gospel. Um, it'll matter to us when we hear the gospel denied or compromised or ignored. Um, and the serious study and exposition of the scriptures will be therefore at the centre of our activities. I suspect that that is the case in our churches. It ought to be the case as well in our association of churches. For myself, uh, in the old Anglican denomination where the gospel has largely been lost, uh, I believe we evangelicals must contend for the gospel in the forums that that denomination provides. Uh, whether or not anyone's interested, whether or not we have the numbers, and we'll contend for the proclamation of the gospel in this land and throughout the world. Uh, we want to discern where denominational structures that happen to be in place, uh, rules perhaps that happen to be in place, can help the progress of the gospel. And we want to recognise when that association is hindering the progress of the gospel. And we want to recognise that no human organisation has the right to hinder the progress of the gospel. And when it does, we oppose it, or we bypass it, or we get around it. Now, indeed, as I see, as I read the history, FIEC has come into, into existence out of this very conviction. Right? There were places where the denominations were not preaching the gospel. There were even places where the denominations were trying to block the preaching of the gospel. And so in folk went and started preaching the gospel and drawing, drawing like-minded people together to, to, to get that done. Praise God for that. So FIEC has actually arisen out, out of that understanding. Now, make sure that we think the same way about FIEC. What are you going to do? I don't know whether this has happened. Uh, it'll happen sooner or later. What are you going to do when uh, you have a work going, a struggling work in an area, so an FIEC church, and then some other radical, independent, independent, evangelical redneck comes and wants to plant a church in your suburb and threaten you? Right, the boot will be on the other foot. And you're going to say, praise God. I trust that the Lord will bless that work. Could some of our folk come and help you? Will you say that? Think it through carefully. FIEC will develop 
territorialism, uh, I think. It hasn't, I, as far as I've seen, it hasn't yet, but we want to watch out for that kind of thing. The, the, certainly the other denominations have. We will be more concerned for the prospering of believing churches than the, for the prospering of our denomination. More concerned for the prospering of believing churches than the prospering of Anglicanism or the prospering, the prospering of FIEC as, a, as an organisation. It's the churches, it, it, sorry, it's in the churches and it's from the churches, not from the association that we expect the gospel to grow. In the older denominations, there is a huge temptation to be men-pleasers, a particular form of that temptation. All too frequently, evangelicals who get involved in denominational structures are tempted to dissociate themselves from other evangelicals who are less committed to the denomination. I don't know whether you've seen that happening in the historic denominations. Uh, again, I don't think it's, it's this kind of thing that I would expect to, to be seeing yet in FIEC, but when a person is not Anglican enough and a person receives responsibilities within the denomination and distances themselves from people who are, who are not as committed to the denomination as they are, that's unfaithfulness. We do not want FIEC to develop like that and therefore I would be very wary of giving any value to loyalty to FIEC. We don't want loyalty to FIEC any more than we want loyalty to Anglicanism. We want faithfulness to Christ. And if FIEC can serve and encourage faithfulness to Christ, terrific. If other things can encourage faithfulness to Christ, terrific. Our unity with those who agree in the gospel is too important to play denominational games. And uh, I'm suggesting that, you know, in time, those sort of temptations will come uh, to all of us. That unity that we have uh, with those uh, who uh, serve the same Christ, love the same Christ, long to see him glorified and honoured in the world, that's a unity that's been won by Christ's death. That's a unity that's been given to us by the Spirit of God. Uh, we don't exchange that uh, for organisational stuff. Um, as I've said already, in these early years of FIEC, uh, there is a wonderful high level of agreement in the gospel. Uh, and I'm uh, urging, uh, urging us, brothers and sisters, not to take that for granted. It can be easily and speedily lost. And I think, uh, roughly speaking, you, you, you're sort of getting into the stage. I think it's probably still a little bit way off. But as a generational change happens, that's when we want to watch out for these things. And uh, so we will take the study of God's word together seriously so that our unity will be unity in the gospel, agreement in the gospel, uh, and that will matter to us. So the unity of the spirit is unity in the gospel, A. B, the unity of the spirit divides the denomination. History suggests that we must expect that the unity of the spirit will divide the denomination, particularly once it gets big and old. If we're committed to the unity of an organisation and avoiding division, we will not be faithful to the gospel. Then you'll find it will never be quite the right time to push, push gospel issues hard. Um, 
some of the silly fights that I've been involved in over the years within uh, our denomination, uh, you can almost predict it. Uh, people say people will be convinced of an argument. It's a bit controversial, but they're convinced it's actually right. But what do they say? No, now's not the right time. Uh, it's just not the right time. To, it's never the right time to push a, div a divisive gospel issue. Uh, there will always be reasons to put off action uh, unless we recognise and accept that the gospel and gospel-mindedness will divide human organisations. Now, this calls for a lot of wisdom, I think. Uh, and it's again, it's not wisdom you're going to get from the platform here. Uh, it's wisdom that I'm uh, urging us to pray for and work at and be careful about. Um, those of you who know me well might doubt this, but it's absolutely true. I loathe conflict more than I'm able to tell you. Uh, it makes me sick. Um, and may God deliver us from people who relish conflict. But we cannot be gospel people if we will not accept that it's good for the differences to come to the surface and not be glossed over to be thought about, to be prayed about, to work out how serious they are. For the unity of the spirit to take absolute priority over any other kind of unity that human beings create. You see, I don't, uh, again, I, forgive me for talking about my denomination, but I'm just, that, that's where I, my experience comes from mainly, and I see if there's stuff to learn from it. I don't want the Anglican denomination to be united. I want it to be terrifically divided. Unless, of course, it becomes united in the gospel, but I'm afraid I've sort of almost given up hope of that. But if it's not united in the gospel, I want it to be a divided organisation with all sorts of lines of division through it. Uh, I've occasionally been involved in a, in a study group, a denominational study group, exploring an issue of some, some kind. And, of course, the usual approach, particularly the Anglican approach, is to try and come up with a form of words that we can all agree with, right? So, therefore, it usually says absolutely nothing. And I was very uh, pleased one, on one occasion to be able to persuade the group, let's come up with a parallel report where we have ten points. Some say this, others say that. Some say this, others say that. So that the, the two views are laid out and you could see what the differences were. Now that was, I thought that was useful. And we were divided. We lined up behind one view and the other view. Well, now we could evaluate, do they matter? What are we going to do with those things? Rather than pretending that we're united when we're not united uh, in, in matters of truth. Uh, denominational unity, that is, human organisational unity, is typically an alternative, a rival to the unity of the spirit. People find their unity in what they can see rather than what they cannot see. If you're for one, if you're going to fight for the unity of a human organisation, I do believe that you will end up being against the other. If you're going to fight for our unity in Christ, then you will be prepared to accept division within our human organisations. I want us to develop the mindset that understands uh, that very, very often, if a proposal will be divisive, that's prima facie evidence, it's not proof, but it's prima facie evidence that it might be a good idea. And probably now's the time to do it. 
Because I like a fight? No. But because the unity of the spirit does divide. Now, uh, I'm sort of uh, hinting at uh, thinking that FIEC will face such issues. And I'm speaking with an ignorance uh, of your experiences together, but I wouldn't be surprised if you've already faced some issues like that. Uh, and if the time comes when you must divide, then divide. Not hastily, not happily, not arrogantly, but do be prepared to divide over different understandings of God's ways. Mind you, let me, uh, easy to be misunderstood here. Dividing is not desirable. Gospel people have a tendency uh, sometimes to make everything a gospel issue. Um, and we, uh, it, it, that, that is our tendency is to the Phariseeism I was talking about earlier on. The gospel gives us a great deal of freedom which we, we must embrace and celebrate. Division comes not just when we have a disagreement. We mustn't allow just any and every disagreement among us to divide us. That would be absolute stupidity. Division comes when one side of a disagreement is sure that the matter involves obedience or faithfulness to God. Right? Um, take a historic one. I, I, I've got no idea. You must tell me later on what, what, what you guys are doing about thinking about things like baptism. Uh, but historically, that's what it was. The one, one side of, the, uh, of the, the mode of baptism debate, let us say, the mode of baptism debate, one side of it says it's a matter of indifference. The scriptures do not prescribe a mode of baptism. I won't divide over that. But another side says, no, the scriptures prescribe a mode of baptism. You'll get division then. Um, this group, my word, absolutely prepared to accept people who have a particular mode of baptism, uh, but this group is unable to accept that it's obedient to God to have the other, uh, other form. So you, you find the division because one side of the disagreement uh, is sure that it's a matter of obedience and uh, it, it's that important. Um, I'm anxious not to leave this with the impression that I'm encouraging FIEC to divide. You understand? Um, but the issues will come, and what I am encouraging is uh, as to, to see that we haven't got a mentality that, that, that will hold the organisation together at all costs. There will, I think, be issues that will arise. I, you know, I don't know of anything. But there will be issues that will arise that will cause division, and division is the right thing to happen. Again, you have to work out and you will be working these things out over the years that lie ahead. Uh, my third point under this heading is, and then we'll, ha we'll have some questions after this third point and see how we're going for time. The unity of the spirit demands trans-denominational fellowship. Evangelicals must ensure that we are responsible to the spirit of God who draws us in love to all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're responsive to the Holy Spirit, we will not only be drawn to fellowship with our fellow FIEC Christians or our fellow Anglicans, Baptists, whatever it might be. If we are, 
it would seem to me that we're responding to something other than the Spirit of God. He doesn't know about those limitations. I don't think, I don't think God knows anything about Anglicanism. Isn't that a silly thing to say? Do you know what I mean? He doesn't care. He doesn't care. That's what I mean. He doesn't care about what denominational label you... He doesn't care, actually, that you have the, the, the label of Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. He, he cares about who you are and he cares about what you're doing and all that. But the, but the organisation is not something that matters when you stand before him. I'm, a, I'm an Anglican, I'm a Baptist. I will, will mean nothing in God's presence and doesn't mean anything in his sight now. It should mean nothing to us in terms of the fellowship and our care for brothers and sisters. Um, uh, I, I've been suggesting that it is to be expected that we will take up opportunities for believing churches and believing Christians to relate to other churches and other Christians uh, that are given to us by our association. So I, th one of the wonderful things about the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches is that it is giving the opportunity for, for Christians in Perth to know about and care about and as they have opportunity to express love to Christians in Auckland. And that's, you know, that's one of the wonder, wonderful things. The, the unity of the Spirit can have some kind of expression in that way. And that, that, I take it, is a work of the Spirit. However, it's also important that we express our unity with gospel people and gospel churches across our organisational boundaries. And so I think that, 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 that it's really important and healthy in the life of uh, our churches to see that we're involved with Christians outside of our group. Uh, again, historically in the Sydney scene, uh, beach missions have been important for that. Katoomba conventions have been important for that. Uh, MTS is important for that. Uh, as organisations that, are, and, and that give us the opportunity to relate to, to care for um, uh, Christian people across... The, see, interdenominational is a funny word, uh, but interdenominational stuff is always a feature of healthy evangelical Christianity. Uh, one of my worries about Sydney Anglicans is that we've become Sydney Anglicans and almost everything that most Sydney Anglicans do is Sydney Anglican. Uh, I don't think that's good um, because, uh, well, for the reasons that I've outlined. Uh, evangelical Christian people working together, fellowshipping across uh, the limits of our various organisations for the sake of gospel churches, for the sake of gospel proclamation, will at some point um, encounter denominational opposition. Um, uh, you've uh, encountered that in various places uh, that I'm aware of, and I'm sure there are many that I'm not aware of. Uh, and that may well be, again, an indication that you're on the right track. Um, don't allow FIEC to embrace all of the relationships of its churches. Don't have your folk only going to FIEC conferences. Uh, don't at your conferences only have FIEC speakers. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. It's j just a plug. I'd love to come back again, you see. <laughs> and to conclude this section, as FIEC develops, um, I want to encourage you to value what I've been calling the denomination. Has anyone called it a denomination before? I've, I, I've started it. And you can all deny it, okay, as much as you like. I still reckon it's true. But you, by all means, after today, this could be the last time the FIAC has ever called it. I don't care. The word doesn't matter one bit. But I want you to encourage the value of this association of churches for what it is.
but to appreciate clearly what a denomination is not. It seems to me to be ever so important that evangelicals repudiate the idea that our Christian identity is associated with our denominational label, and I don't think it's all that long before FIEC will be recognised as a label for certain kinds of Christians. The folly of denominational loyalty is an expression of walking by sight, not by faith. You're failing to see the spiritual realities that we're involved in, and you're lining up with the things that we human beings have created. Our agenda with respect to our denomination, keep using that word, or association, must be the good of the churches and the spread of the gospel. When an association of churches or a denomination loses its usefulness for those ends, it's lost its usefulness. And there is no point at all in sticking with it. No point at all. Uh, I haven't come to that point in my understanding of being uh, an Anglican in the Diocese of Sydney yet. Uh, I have argued with friends in uh, the Church of England in England that I think they're past that point. Uh, that point can arise in any organisation, but the, the, the purpose uh, I'm suggesting to you and the usefulness of an association of churches is for the good of the churches and for the progress of the gospel, the spread of the gospel. And it's worth at any point saying, is, that, is, that, is this association worthwhile for that? Is it, is it doing stuff in that area? Let's stick with it. Uh, if it's not, um, abandon it.